Uh, question is, what kind of music does, uh, does God play in heaven, do you think? Senior adult music. How many of you think God plays senior adult music in heaven? All right. How many of you think he plays contemporary Christian music in heaven? All right. How many of you think um, he plays worship music in heaven? You know, I'm not sure that God's style is quite our style. Yeah. I think some of us are going to be shocked when we get to heaven. It may be a kind of music that you may not like. You think? That's not possible? Well, so what kind of music can we worship to when we come into the place of worship? All kinds of music. You know, that's one of the reasons why I think it, I really like the fact that we combine the service because we get to have all kinds of music. And the two songs that the senior adults sang are older than I am. Now, that's pretty old. Not as old as Scott Cochran, though, because he turned 40 last week, and I went to his party yesterday. So uh, Scott is not here today. I'm sure he's probably on a job somewhere, maybe, but um, he is turning quickly into a senior adult. He's 40 now. Wow. How many of you remember 40 in the rearview mirror? Okay. How many of us that 20 years ago? How many of you for 30 years ago? All right, who is the oldest person here? Anybody older than 90 in here? Anybody older than 90? Anybody older than 90? We have one 90-year-old, Miss Ruby. Anybody older than Miss Ruby? Where? How old is your mama, Roseanne? 92. How old are you, Miss Ruby? 95. Wow. Well, Miss Ruby, you just thought you were old because we're going to read a scripture today where we're going to learn that at 80 years old, God called Moses to lead his people out of bondage at 80. And he served till he was 120. So I wonder what kind of music he listened to when he was called by God at 80. Let's stand and let's read Exodus chapter 7. I want you to notice these passages today. This is Senior Adult Day. How old, how old can you be when you hear the voice of God calling you to serve? How old? At any age. Are you ever too old to hear God speak and to call you to serve? Now, Miss Ruby's 95, and she still listens to the voice of God. I guarantee it. And I enjoy getting a hug from her every Sunday morning right at that back exit. And if I don't, my week doesn't go well. None of us are too old to hear and to respond to the voice of the Father calling us to service. Let's look at the text. Exodus 7, verse 6. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. And everybody went, wow. Deuteronomy 31, verses 1 and 2. So Moses continued to speak three words to all of Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to go out and come in, but the Lord has said to live you shall not go, said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. And a verse that's not on your screen is Deuteronomy 34, 7 and 8. It says, Moses was 120 years old when he died. Notice what he said. Now, if you think things are falling apart at your age, notice at 120 years old, when he died, his eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. Wow. At 120. It's incredible, isn't it? You're never too old to be used by God. And you're never too young to respond to the call of God to serve him. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for the privilege and the joy that is ours to stand in honor of your word today and to hear you communicate into our lives the truths that you're about to speak. 
I pray that your Holy Spirit that resides in this place would move freely in our hearts. You said that faith comes by hearing. And I pray that you'd give us ears to hear what you want to speak into our lives today. But hearing means that we must respond. And I pray that as we hear, we would respond obediently to what you're inviting us to do. God, you have chosen to use imperfect people for a perfect task. And I pray that you'd use us for your glory today as you assign unto us that which you would have us to do so that we might bring glory and honor to you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to start off with, uh, since it's a senior adult day, and in honor of Scott Cochran, about a man who wanted to give his wife a hearing test. They're older, senior adults. Not that Leslie has a hard time hearing. He married much younger than he is anyway, right? She's at least 20 years younger than he is. But anyway, an elderly gentleman feared his wife was getting hard of hearing. Can I get amen, guys? Huh? So he called her doctor to make an appointment to have her hearing checked. The doctor made an appointment for the hearing test in two weeks and meanwhile suggested the husband try a simple informal test to give the doctor some idea of the state of her problem. Here's what you do, said the doctor. Start out about 30 feet away from her and in a normal conversational speaking tone, see if she hears you. If not, go 30 feet, then 20 feet, and so on until you finally get a response. That evening... The wife is in the kitchen cooking dinner, and, she's in, and he's in the living room. He says to himself, I'm about 40 feet away. Let's see what happens. Then in a normal tone, he asks, honey, what's for supper? No response. So the husband moved into the other end of the room, about 30 feet away from his wife, and repeats, honey, what's for supper? Still no response. Next, he moves into the dining room where he's about 20 feet away, and he asks his wife, honey, what's for supper? Again, he gets no response, so he walks up to the kitchen door only 10 feet away, and he asks, honey, what's for supper? Again, there's no response, so he walks right up behind her in her ear and whispers, honey, what's for supper? Finally, he hears this response for the fifth time, Earl, chicken. Ha, <laughs> Cindy has that problem, don't you, Cindy? That's what you get for being, yeah. Faith comes by hearing. And it's not that God isn't speaking. It's that we're not listening. For God, when he speaks, deserves a listening ear. And some of us have grown deaf to God's voice. And it's no wonder that many of us, having grown deaf to God's voice, do not possess a faith that is necessary to live out the life that God has called us to live in the world and in the circumstances in which we live today. I think all of us would agree that circumstances are getting worse. It's harder to live for Jesus today than it ever has before. And some of us who are senior adults would probably amend that because you know that 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, it was much easier to live for the Lord than it is today. But there is a group of people that had a set of circumstances that is much more pressing than the ones that we have today. Well, how do you say that? Let's, let's think about and reflect upon the circumstances that took place during the, the exodus during the Exodus, we know that they were basically then conquered by Pharaoh. They were in slavery. They were slaves. There was no chance for advancement. There was little chance of having a prosperous life. And they were destined and doomed to live a life of slavery and, and, and in, a, in that sense had basically no rights at all as slaves. And they were at the will and disposition of an emperor who did not fear God, did not care about their Yahweh or their Jehovah, and as a result of that put demands upon them in building his empire that were more than physically they could sustain themselves over a period of time. You top that with a group of people in a faith community. The Hebrew people had long forgotten God. They had abandoned their faith 
They had turned their back on Jehovah because they believed that Jehovah had turned their back on them, and they simply just embraced then, after turning their back on God, the false gods of Egypt. And many of them were worshiping the gods of Egypt while they were in captivity. You top that circumstance with then the, the mandate or the command that Pharaoh gave because of the population of, of the Hebrew nation was rapidly growing to the astronomical levels that it made the Pharaoh a little bit uncomfortable. He commanded that every firstborn child would be thrown, first son, would be thrown in the Nile River to be drowned. Imagine a parent in that day and time. Having a son, knowing that upon his birth, he would be thrown into the Nile to drown to death or to be eaten up maybe by the alligators who were there. And so the circumstances were not favorable for the people of God. And yet we learn that in spite of all of that, there is a remnant, there's a small group of people that have an incredible astronomical faith in God. Who are those people? They are the parents of Moses Moses himself, who eventually God used as he strengthened Moses' faith in order to lead the people out of Egypt. So let's take a look at this incredible man named Moses who was called by God at 80 and who served God faithfully until 120 until he passed away. What was it that gave Moses such a, an advantageous start in his faith? I think, first of all, you, it's important that we note, according to Hebrews chapter 11, that we see that he had a parental heritage that was incredibly favorable for him. Because we learn in the text that, that, that it's critical in the development of the child for the parents to have faith. For the parental faith is often passed to the child. And when we saw Tom and Kitty Madison this morning, who were exemplary believers in Christ and have a strong faith in Jesus. And Kitty is one of the few, and I think there's only one person in her family who is a believer. And yet they have three children now. Their last child, Elizabeth, was baptized this morning. And Tom and I talked yesterday when service was over. All of their children are now in the family, a part of the faith. I, I don't want us to ever underestimate the importance of parental heritage when it comes to faith because I'm convinced that more is caught than it is taught and I'm convinced that Moses caught the faith of his parents he was not only taught how to put faith in God but he saw it in their lives we see in the text in Hebrews chapter 11 beginning of verse 23 it says by faith Moses when he was born was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict now notice that Amram and Jochebed, how would you like to have a wife named that? Hard to write poetry to your wife with that kind of name, isn't it? And you have these two parents, this man and this woman, we see in the text are described simply as parents in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. Parents, plural. And we, we see according to this text the importance of both mom and dad's faith in God. Both had extraordinary faith in God. The father was a descendant of Levi, the high priest, and so was mom. But not only because of their heritage, but because of their personal faith in God. And we see that together they had a common faith, and that common faith enabled them and empowered them and equipped them in order to be the parents that they needed to be in order to instill faith in their children you cannot cannot pass on a faith unless it's a personal faith and both sets of parents had a common faith in jehovah they believed in god when they lived in a community of many who had abandoned god yet they stayed faithful and committed to jehovah and to the worship of the one true god both mom and dad and i'm convinced it was that parentage that heritage that they passed on to their son and to both of their other children, Miriam, who was and who became a prophetess, and Aaron, who becomes the high priest of the nation of Israel. They had three incredible children. Moses, who led the people out of Israel. Imagine, how could two parents have such 
amazing children to lead the nation of Israel the way they did. It must have come from down deep in their hearts, an authentic, genuine faith that mom and dad had together. They shared this common faith that they passed on to their children. Their children saw mom and dad not only teach it, but they saw them live it. Well, they had a common faith. Notice they had a collaborative faith. In the text, you see that it took both of them to hide the child for three months. Now, today we have dads very involved in child rearing, right, guys? I remember when, uh, when we first had our first child, and Matthew is now, I think he's 35, something like that, in his mid-30s. Uh, when, I had Matt, when we had Matt, not many fathers were changing diapers back then. Seriously. I don't think my dad probably ever changed a diaper. I know my father-in-law never did. But today... Dads are changing more diapers than they ever have before. Right, dads? Now, granddads, we can bypass that by handing off to grandma, especially when it's a special kind of diaper. And I'm not going to elaborate on that. No, I don't. But it, it took both of these parents to hide this child for three months. They were both actively involved in keeping this child's birth a secret why because they knew that if anyone told in the camp that the child had been born and if word ever got out that they would have to throw Moses into the Nile and he would drown and the reason they didn't do that is because they were confident in the fact that they believed notice it said that the child was beautiful now who of us have given birth to an ugly child anybody want to confess to that anybody no. I remember the birth of my first child, Matthew, my father-in-law, my wife's dad, wonderful man. Miss him. He's been gone now. He's in heaven. Um, I remember when he, he and I went to the, to the glass to see the baby, and he looked at it, and his words, I kid you not, said, that's a baby, all right. That was it. How do you interpret that? I don't know what that means. But I learned over the years watching our three being born and several of his other grandchildren being born that he didn't think babies were too pretty. And now there are some who do look prettier than others. Angela had her second grandson just a couple of weeks ago, and that is a beautiful baby. Um, but uh, it's hard for us to look at a baby and go, wow, that's beautiful. But that's not really what he's indicating here. It indicates that mom and dad, as they looked at this, this newborn baby, recognized and realized that it had value and purpose for God. They recognized and they realized they had this confidence of knowing that God had a purpose for Moses' life as he was being born and as they were holding him for those three months. They knew and they realized that that God has a purpose for this child. And I'm convinced that if you're a parent or a grandparent today, God has a purpose for every life. For life is no accident. And God, being the divine creator that he is, endows us with the gift of life and gives us the sense of parentage and allows us to raise these children that are really not ours, they're his. And we must look at our children with the understanding and the confidence of knowing that God has a plan and has a purpose for these children, and we must raise them as such. And parents must collaborate together, putting their forces together to help raise this child with the understanding and with, I think, the confidence of knowing that God is going to use my child for extraordinary things and for miraculous and in miraculous ways. But notice also he talks about their faith being courageous because he said they were not afraid of Pharaoh. They chose rather their fear God rather than Pharaoh. What do you mean fear God? Fear God meaning that they were afraid to disobey God rather than disobey man. And there is one time and only one time I believe it is right to disobey the law of the land or to disobey the government. Whenever the government tries to get us to disobey God, we have as believers, we have as believers the mandate from God to disobey our government in order to obey God. And the government should never take priority in our lives over what we believe God has mandated and commanded us to do. And if ever our government ever tells us to do something that God says we should not do, <laughs> we would rather choose to believe God and to obey him rather than our government, regardless of the consequences. And these parents understood that. 
And I think it was that kind of faith that caused them to hide this baby for three months. And you know the story that mom put the child in a basket and took it down to the river Nile. And she knew where Pharaoh's daughter was going to be bathing and was hoping that as mom put the baby out there, that the Pharaoh's daughter would see it, would see how beautiful the child was, would fall in love with it. But we know that God had a purpose and a plan for Moses all along. He took over those circumstances and over those consequences, and she fell in love with the baby and took the baby home and raised the child as her own in the Pharaoh's household. And later hires mom to be the nurse of her own baby and to raise it as a Hebrew child. Is that God or is that coincidence? It's God. And God was was the God of these parents, and it was the faith of these parents that I believe that was passed on as a heritage, as a lineage, as a legacy to Moses. And when Moses was being raised by his mother, and she was telling him the story as a small boy of his birth, and how they had hidden him, and how he was found, and how now he belonged to God, all of that was instilled in him. It became not only a part of his heritage, but it became a part of his identity to the point where we find in now the next verse, verse 21 in Hebrews chapter 11, we see that he eventually had a personal faith in God as well. For I'm convinced that God has no grandchildren. Faith is not passed over from parents to child automatically. It must become an individual personal faith. And the Bible clearly then lays out the personal faith of Moses. It says in verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is, un, who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. It talks about, the scriptures does, the faith that Moses had in God. And if you take a look at the text, first of all, it talks about that he found a personal faith in God. He found his own faith. It says Moses' faith. It said by faith, Moses. It, it, it's an, an indirect comment where it helps us realize that he had a personal faith in God. Moses by faith, had a personal faith in God. It was not enough for mom to have faith. It was not enough for dad to have faith. It was important for him to have a personal faith in God. And early on as a child, he began to understand about his plan and God's purpose for his life. And he understand his heri- understood his heritage. He understands also in Exodus uh, his lineage. He understands that he's a Hebrew. He's not an Egyptian. His mother helped raise him right in, in that identity that he knew who he was and who his God was in spite of all the trappings and the surroundings that were there. Eventually, he seeks to take matters into his own hands by slaying an Egyptian who's being uh, unkind and, and hurtful to one of his fellow Hebrews, trying to take matters into his own hands. And as a result of that, we know that he then travels and escapes to Midian and lives there in which he takes a wife. And during that period of, of creating a family and God continued to bless him, he's out in the field late, late in the afternoon, tending the sheep. And all of a sudden, a burning voice comes, a, a, a burning bush lights on fire and a voice comes from the burning bush. And God communicates to him and speaks into his life. And his response was what? Here I am. Basically, I'm available. And he and God then began to develop a personal relationship. And it's kind of shaky early on because God calls him to do some things that are pretty challenging. And he gives God some, some, some very understandable excuses as to why, why me. I'm not a good communicator. I can't speak well. He said, I'm going to take care of that. He said, well, the people won't listen to me. He said, I'm going to take care of that. He said, well, how am I going to persuade Pharaoh? He said, don't worry, I'm going to take care of that. But on top of that, I'm going to harden his heart and to make the job even more difficult than it could possibly be. How would you like to go in to a task, to assignment, to a mission, knowing that there's already going to be resistance before you even go in? And yet he said, I will go. And God tore down all of his excuses and all of his reasons as to why he wasn't qualified, and you've been there before. And he finally submitted to obedience, and he put his personal faith in God. Well, he had personal faith. He found a personal faith, but notice in the text, he also forsook the pleasures of Egypt. 
It's interesting in the text, he said that he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God. He chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God. How many of us would rather choose to be mistreated rather than go into the wealth of Egypt? Now, if you know anything about the history of of the Egyptian culture during this era and, and know anything about the pyramids that we've discovered, this Pharaoh was stupidly wealthy. I mean, he had, he had wealth immeasurable. And with that wealth came incredible power and prestige and position and all of the pleasures that money could buy. And Moses had all that at his disposal as being raised by Pharaoh and in the household of Pharaoh. He had all of that available to him. And when he chose to follow God, he turned his back on all of that and chose rather than to be mistreated with the people of God. Imagine that. Someone said, you know, if I could just strike it rich, I'd be on easy street. But this guy deliberately, intentionally would rather choose to be mistreated with the people of God and walk in the discomforts of, of being in the center of the will of God rather than living in the prosperity and the power and the wealth and the prominence and all the pleasures that this world has to offer. And isn't that what Jesus called us to do as disciples? Well, he not only found his own faith, he not only forsook the pleasures of Egypt, but Egypt, he also fostered the right relationships because you see in the text that he rather would be with the people of God than he would be the people of Egypt. If you don't think friendships are important to help strengthen and, and equip your faith, you need to rethink that whole concept. Because our friends will either encourage us in our faith and help us put faith in God, or they will diminish our faith, ridicule our faith, and cause us not to follow the Lord. But Moses understood. He said, I need to find the right friendships. I need to connect with the right people. I need to commune with the people of God, because as I'm fellowshipping with the people of God, then I will strengthen my faith. That's why the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together is the habit of some. For those who choose not to be in in the place of worship and among the community of believers at least once a week will have a hard time living for the Lord on a day-to-day basis. Your friendships, they must be chosen carefully and very wisely because they can either enhance, encourage, and equip your faith or they can diminish and if not destroy your faith. And caused you to make wrong choices. He chose rather to be with people of God. Notice, number four, he also focused on the future, not the present. It's interesting. It says that he rather chose to look to the rewards of the future. I mean, sometimes we want to focus on the here and now rather than take the long-term view. And we've been talking about that in the, this whole greater things concept. And some of you say, well, this is kind of a, a repeat of what we've been talking about. And it's interesting how the scriptures continue to repeat over and over and over and over again the same principles. And I think the reason it does that is because, I don't know about you, but I'm a little dense sometimes. It takes me more than the first time to get it right. And then after I get it right, I need to be reminded to keep it right. Because the world continues to bombard us with all the pressures of the world, and we have a tendency to focus on the here and now and not on the future. And he took the long-term view of things. He concentrated on the future, not on the the present pleasures and and all that that was available to him. And rather, he said, no, I'll take the long-term view. I'll take the promises of God over the pleasures of this world. And he he, he he was willing to forsake what this world had to offer for the future glory and the future pleasures that were available to him in his faith, promised to those who faithfully follow the Lord. Notice also he was fearless against opposition. Interesting to me that it says that it being, uh, he was, uh, it says verse 27, by faith he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He, he was fearless against th- this Pharaoh who had incredible power. I mean, he was king. All he had to do is to speak and you would be dead. He knew the dangers of the mission. He knew the problem the message would bring to Pharaoh. Here you have a king who has a a people group, this Hebrew nation over here, thousands upon thousands of free labor. All you got to do is feed them. And I'm going to go to the Pharaoh and say, you got to release your free labor because God said so. Pharaoh believed himself to be God. And now Moses is going to go to a guy that he knows well, he thinks, and he's going to have to demand for the release of God's people and believes that 
Pharaoh's going to have to release his labor force. It, it was a, a fearful thing to stand before Pharaoh. And yet he was able to stand because he had the authority of God. And under the authority and under the blessing of God, he was able to stand before Pharaoh fearless, without, without any fear whatsoever, without any concern for his life. Why? Because he knew that God had his back and that nothing could happen to him that wasn't in accordance to the plan and the purpose of God. God had already told him what was going to happen. And yet he walked in by faith, completely fearless of what Pharaoh would do, completely trusting God. You know, when you have a faith like that, that completely trusts the word of God, it takes away from the fear that the world sometimes wants to bombard upon us and cause us to be faithless in the circumstances of life. But notice also the faithfulness of Moses. It says, by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. It took ten plagues. Ten plagues. The first time he went to Pharaoh, he told Pharaoh, he said, God said, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no way. As a matter of fact, no way. I'm going to make it harder for you Hebrews. I'm going to take away your straw and demand that you keep the same quota as you had before, but I'm not going to provide the straw. <laughs> See how you like that. The people grumbled and complained. They didn't like what Moses did with before. They were all for it until all of a sudden life got harder, and then they got upset with Moses for putting him in, into that, that rock and that hard place. Then Pharaoh had the authority of the Lord and went back for the first of ten times and said, if you don't let the people go, this wouldn't happen. And ten things happened eventually until finally on number ten, he walks in, he tells Pharaoh, if you don't let God's people go, this is what's going to happen. Your firstborn and every firstborn of every family in Egypt is going to die. And he laughed. And he hardened his heart. God told Moses as he left, what I want you to do, guys, I want you to take the, the, the lamb's blood, I want you to sprinkle it on the doorpost, and when the angel of the Lord comes over that evening to inflict my judgment on Egypt and these unbelievers, he will pass over every house that has the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And by faith, Moses communicated that to the people, and by faith, the people did it. And when the angel of death came, Egypt lost firstborn son of every family. And it was that that finally broke and caused Pharaoh then to submit to the, to the plan and the purpose of God. But Moses was faithful to God's word. God spoke to him directly and he understood clearly what God was communicating to him and he trusted the word of God and he simply obeyed what God told him to do. Wouldn't it be great if all of us could live such a life? God said it, I believe it, that settles it, and that's how I'm going to live it. And I'm going to put my faith in the Lord. He had a personal faith in God that was brought about because of a parental heritage that his parents passed on to him. But notice, I want you to see, lastly, this very powerful influence that Moses' faith had on Israel. Now, it's granted, and it's true, if you know anything about the story, his faith didn't always have influence on the people because they grumbled and griped a lot. I've always thought, and in, in, in talking to pastors sometimes, I always tell them, have you read Moses lately? If they start, you know, I have some friends and we talk about, you know, the, this pastoring thing and how sometimes people grumble and gripe. And I tell them, we don't have that problem at Emmanuel. Everybody's happy. I said, we don't have that problem at Emmanuel. Everybody's happy. Can I get an amen to that? You know where liars go. Anyway. <laughs> Look at the powerful influence of the verse. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. They crossed the Red Sea, and their enemies were conquered. Was it easy? In your Bibles, turn to Exodus 14. I want to show you something. It's not on the screen. You're going to have to open your Bibles today. Exodus chapter 14. 
Pharaoh finally decided to allow the people to leave, and over a million-plus people, they packed up their stuff, and they marched out of Egypt. And as they were marching away from Egypt toward the Promised Land, God directed them to a specific spot they were supposed to camp out, and they camped out at this particular spot, and at this spot to their back was the Red Sea, and before them came Pharaoh's army. He relented in what he had done and realized he had lost his free labor force. And he gathered up his army, and by force they came. And it's interesting that God created some obstacles that delayed their coming until God's people were set up exactly how they were to be set up because that's where God directed them. God directed them to this spot. Keep that in mind. He told them to camp here. Sometimes God puts us between that rock and that hard place in those difficulties so that God can reveal his glory and reveal his miraculous power in our lives. None of us like to be in a place in which we, we're in that spot where unless God comes through, we're, we're dead. Disastrous things are going to happen. But isn't it great that when God directs you there and you're being obedient to him, that all of a sudden God comes through in a miraculous way. And God had directed God's people to this spot. And while the Pharaoh's army was coming, notice verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They're not really crying out to the Lord. Notice who they're crying out to. They said to Moses. Moses was God's representative, and they were really fussing at the Lord, but they were also fussing at Moses. It is because there are, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us to bring us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Remember when we, you came to us for this message the first time? We said, just, just don't disrupt what we got going on. It's not comfortable. We don't like everything about it, but it's better than living out in the desert. Sound familiar? <laughs> for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. Say that again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. He looked at him and said, shut up. Shut up. Stop. Stop. Be quiet. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they shall go in after them, and, it will get and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Skip down now to verse 30. Back up against the wall, he turns and he lifts his staff. The waters part. Israel walks across on dry land. Yes, it really happened that way. It really happened that way. It says that not only here, but Charlton Heston showed us the, the possibility of that. Yeah. And uh, as they get to the other side, they turn around and they see the Egyptians coming and they say, oh, my soul, they're also taking advantage of what God is doing. And yet, God allowed them to get a certain way and then he brought the sea together and Pharaoh lost his army. And then finally, notice in verse 30, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Notice the last verse, verse 31, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord. An unbelieving people of God now feared the Lord more than they feared Pharaoh. Well, of course, it's easy to fear, fear the Lord now because Pharaoh's gone. <laughs> And they believed in the Lord and in the servant of Moses. They believed in the Lord. His faith was passed on to others. 
And so we must have the kind of faith that has a powerful influence to help others place their faith in the Lord and in Christ. Let's close with these thoughts. Here's some application points. How should I have and how can I have an enduring faith? Very quickly, we're going to close with this. There are six things that I want us to look at. Enduring faith, first of all, will commit to personal faith. You can't have an enduring faith until that faith becomes personal. Your mom and dad's faith won't work. Your grandparents' faith won't work. It's got to be a personal faith where you yourself have placed your faith and trust in Christ and you've entered, like Moses, in that relationship of intimacy with God the Father. And today we do that through God the Son. Number two, we must choose then the road less traveled. Broad is the road and narrow is the way of the Lord. And the life that God is calling you to live, a life of faith, is not going to be a life on easy street. And anybody who tells you that is lying to you. Sure, there are blessings, but there are hardships. Sure, there are mountain peaks, but there are also valleys. Sure, there are great times, but there are also going to be hard times and hard decisions. You will lose friendships. You will not enjoy certain pleasures. You will have to give up certain things. You'll have to deny yourself. And yes, you'll have to even take up your cross to follow him. And you must love him more than anyone and anything else. And that's the road we must choose, the road less traveled. And many choose the broader road and few choose the narrow road. We must concentrate on what's eternal. Never take your eyes off the eternal reward because if you put your eyes on the, on the things of the world today, you'll lose your focus and you'll make the wrong choices. Number four, we need to courageously stand against opposition and opposition will come and it's going to take courage. It's going to take a strong faith, young adults. Take a stand for your faith at school when no one else will. Or at the job, mom and dad, when no one else does. Or with your grandchildren, grandparents, when even their parents don't. Number five, we need to comply with God's word 100%. Know it, believe it, and obey it. Unquestionable. Without reservation, with our whole heart. And we must then cause others to trust in the Lord. To so live a life of faith that as others examine our faith, our lives will encourage, equip, and empower them to live a life of faith. Now, it doesn't mean that you're perfect because if you know the story of Moses, he was not a perfect guy. And he didn't have a perfect family. God doesn't demand perfection from us, just obedience. And aren't you glad there's a thing called grace? unmerited favor from God that overlooks our human frailties, our incompetencies, and our sin and gives us grace. Is your faith an enduring faith? Notice what the scripture says as we close. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. So that you might not grow weary and faint-hearted. Several times, I think, in the life of Moses leading the people up to the doorstep of the promised land, he and God had a one-on-one. -on -one. <laughs> and I think there were times he said, why me? <laughs> I think there were a few times in which he said, you know, maybe it's time you choose someone else. Is there any way else out of this? But after having that encounter with the Father... And his faith being strengthened by that relationship, he chose rightly. And he endured to the end. Your life will have ups, it will have downs, it will have good times, and it will have hard times. 
But we must have a faith like Christ who endured even to the cross so that through his death on that cross he could then rise from the dead and give us the hope that we have and the promise of an eternal reward. And if Moses lived that kind of life and if Christ was the example of that kind of life, then how could we do anything less? But to stand on the faith of those who have gone before us as we make that faith personal for ourselves and we pass it on to our family members and our faith community. So what commitment do I need to make today that will strengthen my faith? What commitment do I need to make today that will strengthen my faith? I'm not sure what set of circumstances you're going through right now, but I can tell you that God is greater than that circumstance. I don't know what trial you're going through right now, but I know that God's greater than your trial. I don't know what sin that you think you've committed, but I know that his grace is more than sufficient. For I have faith in that kind of God. And if you know Jesus, so should you. Let's pray. Good morning. Try that one more time. Good morning. Good to see you today. Elizabeth Madison is coming to profess her faith in Jesus today and to follow in obedience to Christ and his example of being baptized. Our mom is up here, Kitty, and Tom is somewhere back in the, in the uh, sound booth back there in the video room way back there. Tom, thank you for allowing me to do this today. It's my joy to celebrate the faith of their last child coming to faith in Christ. It's a great time for them as a family. Did you know that, that uh, they have a family member who's watching via the internet all the way in China? So we're going across the world today, and so we're excited to join and unite with her family all the way in China this morning and those of us here. So if you're her family member today, would you stand? If you're part of the Madison family and you happen to be here today, would you stand? All right. Elizabeth, have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus and accepted him as your Savior and Lord? Yeah. It's my pleasure to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in his death, to walk with Christ in the power of his resurrection. Woo! This is Rita, and Rita's been coming for some time and uh, made some acquaintances. And uh, one night after a Bible study, she was visiting, visiting with Andrea McClellan, and she said, I need to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And there in the car, in the parking lot, they prayed, and she received Christ as her Lord and Savior. If you're part of Rita's family or life group and you're here today to celebrate with her, would you stand? Rita, have you asked Jesus to come into your heart to be your savior and your boss, and is it your desire to be identified as his follower? Oh, yes. Because of that decision, it's my privilege to baptize you today in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life.
This is Alicia. Alicia has known Christ for some time, but had never taken that next step and followed in believer's baptism. If you're part of Alicia's family or life group and you're here today to celebrate with her, would you stand? Alicia, have you asked Christ to come into your heart and be your savior, your boss, and is your desire to be marked as a follower of his? Yes. Because of that decision, it's my privilege this morning to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. This is Nancy, and Nancy has been coming and visiting Emmanuel for a while, and a couple weeks ago, matter of fact, Easter Sunday, wasn't it? She came forward and said, I've got to know Jesus as my Savior and my boss, and she prayed and received Christ on Easter, and we got a chance to visit last Sunday, and she said, I have to tell you something. Since last week, the Bible has come alive to me. All things are becoming new. And she was just so excited. If you're part of Nancy's family or life group and you're here to celebrate with her today, would you please stand? Nancy, if you ask Jesus to come into your heart to be your Savior and your boss, and is it your desire to be marked as his follower? Yes. Because of that decision, it's my privilege this morning to get to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're buried with Christ in baptism, and we're raised to walk in newness of life.